Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I am Gavin. Awesome. I like your your name today, Sifu MC Hammer. So once again, for those that don't know, we record remotely. So I have to send Gavin an invitation through the link. And he always picks a new name every week. Sometimes it's related to what we are going to be talking about. But uh, Sifu MC Hammer, that's a pretty good, pretty good choice. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Like um, so um, how are you doing? Good, man. Just, yeah. How, so first of all, apologies to everyone. It's been like two or three weeks. Like we said, we were never going to let that happen again. Alas, <laughs> we let it happen again. Uh, pretty much we were supposed to record last weekend. I had to take my car in to go get fixed. Dropped. A lot of money, but it was something that needed to get fixed. You know, I'm, I'm, as, as I've matured, I've learned, you know what? Take care of your car and your car will take care of you, right? So it's like, and I'm one of those people, I'm not a get a car, a couple years later, get a new car. No, I'm like, I, I will drive it into the ground. So last weekend, long story short, I had to drive into town. So like, you know, hour and a half to go have my car service. So we weren't able to record. Uh, the weekend before that, I don't even remember. Oh, it was, uh, what was the weekend before that? We recorded the weekend before that. Or no, it was too, someone had an injury. Me? Yeah, weren't you injured? No, that was last week. Last weekend? So it was the car two weekends ago. No, the car was last weekend. And the injury uh, also two week Two weekends ago, uh... In my great recording studio, a.k.a. my office, we were doing physical therapy. Uh-huh. Or, or our, our program was doing physical therapy, so I didn't have access to the office. And therefore, we couldn't record Saturday. And then Sunday, our schedules uh, didn't align. Yes, there it is. So, mostly my fault. Uh, I've been working, starting my new job. I still love my new job. It's just, you know, getting back into the groove of the workforce, learning the job, getting all into it. So, as I say, some days are super busy. But it's stress-free. You know what I mean? Like, I'm never like, oh, God, I got to go to work. I'm like, cool, going to work. Which is a nice feeling to have, right? Yeah, that's Uh, great. Yeah, but uh, super excited to be recording today. We're going to record today. We're going to record tomorrow. I'm also recording this afternoon, hopefully, uh, with uh, my buddy Tiger. So I'm going to that first episode of Tiger Talks that I've been talking about. So that'll be fun. That'll give us some supplementary material. Uh, But yeah, you had mentioned... Briefly before, I've been working through uh, an injury. So a few weeks back, or more like a month, a month and a half back, I, I got plantar fasciitis. So I had to recover from that. And then last week, I decided, okay, now that I'm the manager of a gym, I'm going to start working out at said gym. So it was my first time working out in like a gym in over a year and a half. You know, I built what I call my home dojo here, uh, and it's been amazing. But uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start getting back in the gym. There's just more machines and stuff I can use. And by machines, I mean mostly for cardio. Like, you know, I'm getting into the rower. Thanks to mm-hmm. Sifu Alex and Dr. Kenneth J. Uh, loving it, actually. They've converted me over. I used to hate the rower, but now I'm starting to like it. But anywho, so I was smart about the load I was doing in the sense of I didn't go too gung-ho in doing anything too heavy. But... The amount I was doing within that week, plus also going back to kickboxing for the first time since we had trained together in the sense of like in a group setting. So I was Mm -hmm. doing some two-a-days. I went super intense on my workouts, not on how heavy, but I also, and then on top of that, I also switched back to a traditional strength routine, which I haven't done in about six months. You know, I do mostly circuit training with everything, but I was kind of doing a more standard 
exercise by exercise, full body functional strength training workout. I also was using modalities I haven't used in a while. For example, I've been primarily using uh, in my home workouts, I have pairs of kettlebells, I have resistance bands and body weight uh, exercises with like chains and weights hanging down. So I also went back into using dumbbells for the first time in a long time. And it was actually, I think the weight distribution of dumbbells and the gripping was something I didn't calculate into having such an effect it did. And long story short, I ended up kind of uh, pulling what's either like the bottom of my front deltoid or the top of the bicep. Uh, I started to feel it last week. So come my Friday workout, I'm working out and for like maybe the day before I'd started to feel this weird sense of fatigue in mm-hmm. my left arm, nothing painful whatsoever, nothing affecting the workouts. Just, I was like, Ooh, my arm is tired. Like I felt like I had done a thousand jabs. So not painful or anything, just like, Whoa. And then I was doing my strength training routine that Friday and I'm working out and I'm like, Oh wow. You know, it's really fatigued. And by the time I got to the end, I was doing uh, like side lateral raises with the cable and mm-hmm. my right arm was fine. My left arm, I could barely lift. And it was more just funny. I was like, oh, damn, yeah, I'm I'm definitely fatigued after this week of training. Still zero pain. Uh, and I, I adapted. I went really light. But I thought, okay, I'm fine. So I went to kickboxing that evening. I got to go back to the Filipino gym for the first time in a month. I was so happy. I'm there. It's uh, my first time going in the evening. I met a lot of the other fighters I hadn't met yet. We're training. We're fighting. It's great. Uh, so I'm, I'm working. I'm working. I'm feeling good. Just my arm was fatigued. Suddenly... We get to the sparring section of class. You know, I got to do like five great rounds with some other fighters. Very first round, I realized I can't move my arm, my left arm. There's literally a complete, so it's fatigued, you know, like I can barely move it. And there's also like what I was calling a neuromuscular disconnect, like a delay between my brain sending the signals to my arm, which is really weird. So I go and I'm trying to throw my left arm and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. I, I, and all I could do was hold it up next to my chin and like I was lo- like almost like <laughs> resting it against my chin and I had to spar these guys with just my legs and my right hand doing a lot of switch to southpaw and so good practice so in case that ever happens but it was after that so the next day last Saturday when I took my car and is when I realized that's when it started to be painful and I was doing a kickboxing workout that day at home I thought oh I just won't use my I won't jab mm-hmm. it I'll do all kicks and all this it was still excruciating pain moving around so throughout the week I've been once again, I don't train through things anymore. I'm smart in that. I train around them, but I've been doing a lot of the, and I also, unfortunately, too early on did too intensive of rehab. Like I used my massage gun that first day, which after more research, I'm like, oh, I should have waited like three or four days before doing that. I, re- I remember getting the text. Yeah. Like, that was a mistake. So I actually haven't used the massage gun since. I'll probably start using it tomorrow, but I've just been doing a ton of icing a ton of tiger bomb and white flower. And surprisingly nice. enough, switching over to white flower uh, about two days ago, I felt a huge difference as opposed to even tiger bomb. But I've also yeah. been working out around it because what happened was last Monday, I go in to do my strength training routine. I'm like, yeah, I feel fine. I took a day off. No, and that was when it hit its peak of being at its worst. And I was just in so much pain and I was so angry and like depressed. So Tuesday, you know, I did a kickboxing workout again, just my legs, like no upper body. Then Wednesday, I did my circuit training in the gym. Same thing. I did like recumbent bike sprints and box jumps and just everything with my legs. And then Thursday, once again, kickboxing workout, no uh, upper body. Uh, And then, but it was starting to feel better. I was icing, icing constantly, like Mm -hmm. throughout the day at work. Anytime I was working on the computer, I'd go grab my ice pack and ice it. And I was tiger bombing it, blah, blah, blah. 
And so now it's like yesterday was the first day where I was able to do a hundred percent workout. No, I didn't have to hold back. I was doing uh, concept two rower. I was doing like uh, medicine ball push-ups, battle ropes. And as I said, it didn't start to even feel slightly aggravated till the last two minutes of the workout. Uh, my workout today, which I did one of my full intense like kickboxing ones, same thing. It's it's I'm discovering kind of what's aggravating it is a lot of the circular motions of say like kickboxing or boxing and martial arts where you know your your shoulders moving uh now it's not even circular because i don't know it's like bouncing around sometimes aggravates it either which way i was able to do a full workout today and my lead hand is back to what i would say 35 percent capacity as opposed to last week which was zero and extreme pain this week no pain just like very stiff but also none of that neuromuscular disconnect uh okay so just, you know, I, I still didn't really use it today. Just lightly. I did some combos, blah, blah, blah. And so the, with the rehab and the nice part is a minute after finishing my workout, I completely forgot about my shoulder. That's so good. it's definitely like much, much better. I know that was like 10 minutes of me talking about my injuries that probably nobody wants to hear about. But, you know, I think the lesson is you can still work out for the most part around injuries. If it's something like very severe, like you pull your back and you have to rest for two days, you just have to rest for two days. I've been there taking Epsom salt baths and stuff. But like, you know, with most injuries, you can find a way to work out around them, even if it's just boring ass cardio. You know, I was at the point where I was, you know, at the beginning of last week, like shit, if I just have to sit on the recumbent bike for two hours every day, that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, luckily, it didn't come down to that. I worked out around it. I did like what would be physical therapy. I'm always doing my dynamic stretches, icing, uh, you know, tiger bomb stretching. And so, yeah, I have a feeling it'll probably still take, if I had to guess like two weeks to get back to a hundred percent. It sounds to me like it might be time to buy a total gym. Mm. Uh, well, <laughs> no. <laughs> so the other interesting part is I forgot to mention this on Thursday, <clears throat> one of the old timers came in the gym. I had done my workout that morning and, uh, you know, I was, feeling, I was talking to him and stuff. These are, you know, the old time like bodybuilder guys. So they've done a ton of injuries. And the guy comes up to me. He's like, all right, well, where is it? And I'm like, yeah, it's like right here. And I point it and he finds it. He's like, boom, boom. He's feeling found. I'm like, oh yeah, right there. And he starts massaging it. He's talking to me for about like a minute, just massaging it. And he's like, yeah, I know that feels more like the upper bicep. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a really weird spot trying to figure out what it is. So that's the good news. It's not rotator cuff, knock on wood. Uh, you know, it's just like a, a weird knot. And that's the other thing when I realized, hold on, it's not so much a strain, a rip or pull or anything. There was no discoloration, no swelling. It's just a straight up knot. And so he massages it with his thumb and it was some straight up Mr. Miyagi stuff because the mm-hmm. whole rest of the day, nothing. And then yesterday, as I said, my workout, a hundred percent doing like medicine ball push-ups, a bunch of explosive stuff with my upper body, no pain. And I'm like, whoa, thanks, Ernie. You gotta get it. You gotta get it back. I know. I'm gonna be like Ernie, massage my arm again. But yeah, so that's what's been going on with me, man. Uh, trying to squeeze in some kung fu movie watching when I can. Uh, this week, I finally got around to watching uh, Wolf Guy, the Sunny Chiba movie that I bought oh. on Blu-ray. Uh, it was yeah. kind of an impulse buy right after he passed away. Uh, once again, we still haven't done that episode. We will, but as as people may or may not know, I'm a huge Sonny Chiba fan. He was a huge inspiration for me. And so, impulse buy when he passed away, I was like, oh, I got to start buying some of these movies of his I've never gone around to watching. And Wolf Guy was one of them. And uh, it was good. It was highly entertaining. You know, not not one of my my top ones, but I I yeah. enjoyed it. So I watched that. 
we watched uh, Kate, the new Netflix action one. I, I have that on my queue. How do you, how do, how'd you feel about it? Highly enjoyable. You know, it's nothing like, oh my God, it's not Atomic Blonde, but it's very enjoyable. I had no real criticisms of it based off of like going in and what I expected. I was like, sweet, this is cool. This is good. I'd say I liked it better than Gunpowder Milkshake. Okay. Even though I like Gunpowder Milkshake, I like Kate was just kind of more of a cool, straightforward action movie. I loved the setting of Japan. Uh, I loved uh, the co-star, the uh, the teenage girl. Uh, she was great. And yeah, very some at the end, you know, the, the plot was very predictable. Uh, but some great action sequences, uh, great shootouts, cool, overall cool, like mise-en-scene. Everything was just very visually nice. Uh, and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, the star, right? She, she did an amazing job. Uh, I really like her. So, yeah, I'll definitely be watching it again. Maybe I'll watch it today. Uh, but, yeah. How about you? What's new, homie? Uh, well, uh, I went and saw um, Prisoners... Of the Ghost Land. I was going to call it Prisoners in Ghostland. So I'm glad I just did a, a quick double check. Yeah. Uh, with Nicolas Cage. No, with Nicolas Cage. There's really no way to describe it. It's it's a multi, uh, it's like a multi-genre film. There, it's, it's adventure. It's comedy. It's post-apocalyptic. It is surreal. It uh, is uh, exploitive. Uh, and it has even like some kind of it just pulls from so many different realms. I really, uh, really enjoyed, uh, well, Nicolas Cage. You enjoy Nicolas Cage because he goes all in, and it's great because working with uh, the director, um, Sion Sono, or Sono Sion. Sono Sion. Uh, he, he goes all in with his films, too. So you've got somebody who goes all in, create, uh, you know, with some crazy visuals, and you have uh, Nicolas Cage who, who, uh, does not dial it in that is or does not when i say dial it in i don't mean dial it back i mean he never dials in a performance he goes all in whether the whether the rest of the performance is up to him or not uh i I think that's also the difference between him and some of the other like let's say a-list stars from the 80s and 90s that also venture into action and now pretty much just go straight most of them go what i call the straight to video market but mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage is a little bit different. Yes, he does a lot of straight-to-videos, but he does also a lot of independent films. And it's kind of yeah. like you said. I think the reason why he stays relevant, uh, relevant is the fact that it's like every other movie of his gets some sort of like indie critical acclaim, right? Because he's never yeah. just dialing it in. He's not a, sorry, Bruce Willis, who you know sometimes will just attach his name to something, show up for like a five-minute walk-on uh, and really just dial it in, right? It's like Nicolas Cage seems he- to go all in on these roles. Yeah, and I mean it, it's, that's something special that you can get from his movies. I I, uh, I think we had mentioned that I'd seen Jujitsu uh, with my friend Marvin and Ron, and at the end of the film, while his martial arts was below par of everyone else in that film, uh, we were just like, ah, the movie had some dud moments, and they just needed more Nicolas Cage. But regarding uh, Prisoners of Ghostland, and not to go uh, too far into it. Uh, Love the performance of Tak Sakaguchi as oh. Yasujiro, the the samurai. Mm. Uh, really, just really uh, kind of like a, a, a stabilizing anchor in the film to all the crazy that's going on. And um, it was the the main. Uh, so Nicolas Cage's character is looking to save uh, a girl named Bernice, played by Sophia 
Botella. Mm -hmm. And at one point, she's doing some action. There's some really good kicks in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did a, did a little research. Turns out she was a, a um, was a dancer uh, mm. or has has done some dancing. So it's it's actually a, a really fun martial arts film. I'm not recommending it to anyone. But if they want to watch it, I ask them to wait for me because I want to rewatch it, if that makes sense. It's like one of those films like, oh, you're going to do some crazy watching. I need to be there for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also saw Collateral, uh, the Michael Mann movie yesterday at, awesome. uh, at the New Beverly. Had a lot of fun watching that. Oh, I bet. The funny part is it's on HBO Max right now and I haven't watched it in years. Uh I remember when it first came out. I want to say I was, it was like 2004. Do you remember the exact year? I think that's about that's about right. Yeah, so it was like my junior or senior year of high school. And I remember a buddy of mine saw it first, one of my good buddies, Duke. And uh, he had said, oh, man, you got to see this because knowing you, you're going to love this scene in the club where uh, Tom Cruise just fucks all these dudes up. Yes. <laughs> and like, I, and I still remember, I remember loving the movie. It was one of the, remember Michael, that was the Michael Mann era where he started shooting digitally. Yes. And it, it definitely gave it a unique look, but at the same time, I don't think as audience uh, members, we were necessarily ready for that because for us at that time, it also came off as slightly like cheap looking to me. Mm -hmm. And I think, visually it, it kind of was messing with my head. I think now I'd be much more ready for that just in the, the, the era of like digital filmmaking and all this. But at that time it was kind of, uh, disruptive. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree completely. I felt the same way about, uh, his Miami vice, but, uh, I'd seen it once in the theaters. All I could remember was Tom Cruise had grayish hair and that, uh, and the club scene. And Koreatown. So going back and rewatching it, it was really special. Uh, you know, watching it the New Beverly, which is projected from film. So it's a digital. It was a digital. You know, obviously it's, it's shot on digital, but they project only from film. Uh, it had a real nice look and feel to it. Not the same look as Heat had, mm -hmm. but uh, really nice. It, it, I I really like how uh, the story relied so much on character. Um, and I don't know if I don't know if we're ready to transition into. Uh, telling the audience what we're talking about today because they don't know from the title of the episode. <laughs> well, I think we are, but real quick, final question on Collateral. Was Jamie Foxx truly the supporting actor or the lead actor of that movie? You know, it's funny because I, well, I, I, uh, he is, he is, it's told through him. It's told through his eyes. So he had, he is the, he is the lead, but then you could also say that, uh, um, there are a lot of films like uh, L.A. Confidential. It's and is told through Danny DeVito's eyes, I believe. It's he's the narrator, mm -hmm. but he's hardly in it. But it, I mean, Jamie Foxx isn't the narrator, but Jamie Foxx is the audience and being forced to participate. And essentially, the film he's he doesn't want to be a participant. He's just going along for the ride, even though he's the driver. Uh, and Tom Cruise's character Vincent gets uh, Max to start to participate in life. So in many ways, uh, for a while, he's just, he's like, I don't want to say a voyeur, but he, like, he is, he's just a fly on the wall to the movie that he's front and center. But I mean, he's here and, and Tom Cruise is behind him in the back seat, and you're, uh, you're kind of fixated on, on Tom Cruise, uh, talking, uh, lines and his reactions as, mm. as Jamie Foxx is like looking in the mirror. Well, I yeah. ask because, uh. Remember that year was a big year for Jamie Foxx because in the Oscars he was nominated for both Best Actor in the movie Ray, which mm -hmm. he won, and Best Supporting Actor for Collateral. 
So that's why really? I, I asked. I mean, you walk away and it, it feels like you just watch Tom Cruise like you watch uh, Henry, like Henry Fonda in, uh, in Once Upon a Time in the West. Tom Cruise doing a real good bad guy. Just, you know, uh, uh, so it, it, it is a Tom Cruise vehicle because without Tom Cruise, the film doesn't happen. But Jamie Foxx is in all the scenes, whereas Tom Cruise isn't necessarily in all the scenes. Right. So, I mean, I remember people uh, uh, were, were kind of confused by that and like, well, no, Jamie Foxx is the star. But I think we have to break it down and look at it from the perspective of we instinctively think best supporting actor means like screen time, screen presence. But in actuality, I think it can also be interpreted as you are the best supporting actor in the sense of you are helping raise the film overall and your co like stars around you. Right. Mm -hmm. So even maybe let's say you're in it the most, but you help bring out the best in everyone around you and so forth. Cause it's interesting. Uh, there was one time in the film, uh, going my way, 1944, that actor Barry Fitzgerald was actually nominated for both best actor and best supporting actor for the same movie. Really? Yeah. And so it's the only time I, as far as I know that that happened. So in that sense, it's really breaking it down as the, okay, you were a great leading actor, but you were also a great supporting actor in the sense of like, uh, it's like John Stockton to Carl Malone, right? Like, you know, if you're like Someone the leader has to write the Yeah. Yeah. You're Some, someone has to write the letters for the mailman to deliver. Exactly. Ah, I like that. See, exactly. So it's, it's interesting. I guess you can look at it from that perspective. Either which way he ended up not winning for that role and he did for Ray. But was that, it, it, yeah, we, we could go down this rabbit hole night because I, I, I could go down this rabbit hole real fast because I think Tom Hanks getting nominated as the portrayal of Mr. Rogers for Best Supporting Actor, that one confused me a little mm, bit. I didn't see that one, so I can't really speak on it. I didn't either, so I can't speak on it either. But I saw the trailer, and he's in the trailer, man. But I, I thought that one was told from like someone else's perspective. Yeah, but then again, like, but if you're if you're having um, yeah, so we should watch the movie and then talk about it. Yeah, let's put a pin in that, and whenever yeah. if we watch the movie, and there's martial arts in it. We'll talk about the it. The martial arts mania podcast. The next one we're talking about uh, Tom Hanks' performance as Mr. Rogers. And on that <laughs> note, we're segueing into our episode today: Kung Fu Comfort Films Number Two, or just. Comfort Films Part 2. So, uh, being that we've both been so busy, we didn't really have time. We did both go see Shang-Chi, and that's what we wanted to talk about. Unfortunately, I need to go see it again for reasons don't really want to talk about. Two of the worst audience members I've ever experienced. But So, I need to go see it again to give it a proper viewing. Uh, but we decided, you know what? Let's just do... Kung Fu Comfort Films Part 2. It's easy to do. Yeah. We have these movies that we watch time and time again. So, let's get to it. Uh, uh, I think we might have the same film. I, so I went back and listened to our old episode to make sure I wasn't nominating a film. I had to do and that too. Okay. And I was nominating a film that we had discussed that you had uh, actually discussed. Ah, I had well, no you can. No surrender on my list. Well, yeah, but I know I can, but uh, I, as I mixed it up, but I think we have the same, we might have the same film on this list. Uh, I think I know which one it is. Uh, oops, excuse me. Uh, um, so, I mean, we, cause and, mine, and mine aren't necessarily in any particular order. I am going to save like one for last that, uh, Oh, actually, you know what? I, now I'm changing my mind about I'm which one I would, all for last. uh, which one I would go with for number one. No, I'm going to stick with number one, but, uh, 
let's just do them in no particular order and then save our kind of quote unquote number ones. But should we guess what that same one we have is? It's three yes, words. I, I think, well, you're counting the, the, the yeah. Yeah. yeah the, and if you words. were to make, uh, what would you call it? Uh, an, an acronym for whatever, it would be uh, HAG. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It would be HAG. And yes, I agree. The only, yeah, yeah. So we know what the movie So is. we should start off with Honor and Glory. Absolutely. Okay. Because <laughs> you brought it up last time and I remember thinking, oh, but it truly is. And it started ever since I first saw it as a kid. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Honor and Glory, early 90s, uh, Hong Kong American co-production, uh, Godfrey Ho, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, You're so not. Cynthia Rothrock, uh, Robin Chu, uh, John, John Miller. Miller again. Uh, Chuck just like, Jeffries. Chuck Jeffries, just like Undefeatable. Uh, Donna Jason. And it's one of the, these unique ones because unlike some of the other Hong Kong American co-productions, say like No Retreat, No Surrender 3, where you take those fight scenes and they could have easily been put in a movie release in Hong Kong. This one has very well done Hong Kong style fight scenes, but they have their own unique flair to it because it's like they quite they didn't quite have the whole production team they needed. Mm-hmm. But and that's not to put the fights down. In fact, it's to give them uh, credit because they have this cool kind of unique aesthetic to them in the sense of they're definitely not American style martial arts scenes. They're definitely more Hong Kong style, but they've got this unique uh, East Coast feel. I always say it's, that because it's it's like they, they filmed these movies in the Virginia, Maryland area, I think. Yeah. And this, I think, if I'm not mistaken, our... our uh our friend and, and seafood Don was I think he was offered a part in this film, but he wasn't. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he was. Uh, I'm previous, trying to remember. Uh, previously think, engaged, and so then he, they got him for the second film, which is undefeatable. That I, I think, I, I think it was maybe something like that, but also something I think because I was trying to remember from an interview with him. I think he also got shafted a little bit in this sense. Cause remember he was like living with Robin shoe. They were like roommates and they were supposed to do the two movies together. And I think, I, he, I th- yeah, I think he was supposed to do more movies after this. Yes. And I'm not um, sure. We'll have to ask him when we get him on, but yeah, we will, we will grill Robin shoe when we get him on. <laughs> Robin shoe. How funny. Uh, we're going to interview. you got to meet him. Sorry, yeah. I got Robin. to meet him. It was, yeah. he was, he was a nice guy, but like it was a very brief encounter. Uh, as he was like coming off the stage at Dragon Fest, uh, and I, I more caught him by surprise and got a picture, got to talk to him for a second, but not anything in detail like asking him about honor and glory. Um, so honor and glory, I think, uh, has one of the best uh, wardrobe coordinators Ooh. for a straight-to-video film for one character and one character only. Of course, we're talking about Chuck Jeffries, which makes me think this was the the suits that Chuck Jeffries wore. Or perhaps from his personal uh, stash. You took the words right out of my mouth. Probably they're like, hey, we got this for you to wear. He's like, nah, nah, I got (laughs) this for me to wear. And his suits are straight out of like uh, Bobby Brown or Belle Bib DeVoe uh, music video. He's got these dope ass like half colored suits. One half is black. Mm -hmm. One half is like a a beige tan. Yeah, there's that one. Yeah, there's that one. He's got his shades. He's got... And the, the best part is they're functional because he's like, ah, this looks like you can use some help with your kicks and goes pop, 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 and does this kicking routine. And it's like, ooh, yeah. I want a suit where I can kick like that and not rip my pants. 
Yeah, no, it's it, uh, it, so he he's he's on great display in this film. Uh, John Miller has some has some nice stuff. He does a little. Uh, he, he borders on Terry Silver and uh, Karate Kid Three with the with the bubble bath and taking phone calls, if I recall correctly. And obviously, you you could easily say John Miller is an amateur actor, right? But what you can't say is that he didn't go all in on these roles. And when you think about it, the two roles he had, uh, Undefeatable and honor and glory they're night and day difference in undefeatable mm-hmm. he's the supporting uh like police officer good guy like just pure mm-hmm. of heart good guy and in this he's the exact opposite so if anything i'd say his performance in undefeatable is you know standard quite good in this one i love it but it's definitely over the top however we have to remember with the godfrey ho film or any hong kong influenced film that's the style of acting that they want Let's yes. look at like Yuen Hua and, uh, you know, some of his over the top stuff and like, I don't know, Dragons Forever. Right. Uh, or uh, John Chum in Pedicab Driver. Like these are mm-hmm. the kind of villains that they like. And so he does a great job of just being this over the top uh, uh, maniacal uh, antagonist. But on top of that, the physicality he brings to it is great. He's huge, yoked, like what I would call like off-season bodybuilder. And I mean like off-season professional bodybuilder, meaning he's still giant and cut and yoked. Yeah. Uh, but also his, he gets to display his martial arts skills. There's a whole sequence where just like in Undefeatable, and it's probably just because like, yo, this guy's really physical and good for his size. Let's just give him time to just do some Kung Fu. Same thing in this one, he gets to do a whole like Kung Fu sequence. And I could just, once again, watch the guy do it all day. I love watching especially like Southern Kung Fu guys at the top of their game, like perform their, their forms and stuff. Cause it's just a thing of beauty. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think what's important to say uh, about honor and glory and why it's on the comfort food list. It's, it's one of these movies that you can pop on. You called it comfort it, food, by the way, comfort food, comfort. <laughs> well, it, yeah. it is. I, it I is like comfort food. Well, you can, you, you can pop this in. And you will enjoy it for the for the creativity with the martial arts, the cl- the clean the clean fight sequences, the over the top lines. Like I love when uh, Donna Jackson is being uh, introduced as the as the news reporter, and there's the lady behind him, and it's like the Donna the Jason. Donna, what did I say? Jackson. Donna. Donna Jason. Uh, Donna Jackson was the other Jackson sister you didn't know about. There was Janet. <laughs> there was Latoya, and then there was Donna. Well. Uh, but I, I love like the the character that's behind her, mm-hmm. the the senators. You wounds. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they get in. She like throws a can at her, and like she does like a kick and goes back and hits her head. Hits it in her head. Uh, anyway, and that's, that's the nice part is even when you have the performers like say the, the woman that fights her right there that maybe have some martial arts background but not a ton. All the fight scenes are stellar, even the ones with less than stellar performers. So mm-hmm. that says something. And that's something that definitely is unique to Hong Kong films. The fact that they can make like anybody look good. But then on top of that, we have some great sequences between phenomenal martial artists, right? Like uh, surprisingly enough, maybe the best fight of the movie based off of the experience of the two performers and stuff would be Robin Shu's ending fight oh. against the Japanese Karateka, right? Yes, and can you can you continue this thought while I have a parent knocking? And we're back. 
Gavin had to speak to a parent. It happens when you're at work. I've thought about recording at my work, and it's so funny because even when I'm on break, I've locked the guest door of the gym. I've put up the sign. We're at break. We'll be back at this hour. People still sneak in. Like, they literally come in even though the sign on the other door says, do not enter if you are not a member. They will still come in. They will find me in my office, start knocking on the door and trying to open it, and this has happened also while I'm in like Zoom meetings and same thing. I have the note up on the door and it's, and I'll open the door. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, in the middle of a meeting. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they just come in and sit down. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, I, I have, I have, a, I have a note up like, yeah. like when I, you know, but it is, it is what it is. But anywho, so we were talking about the finale, Honor and Glory. Uh, and so each one of our good guys is paired off against a bad guy. And there's a sequence where Robin Chu is fighting, uh, the new lead henchman, uh, all Japan karate champion. And they have a great, very, very Hong Kong style fight sequence. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe the longest gap of time because it's kind of a montage sequence with everyone fighting. It's like 20, 30 seconds, but very clean, very crisp, very fast. Pop, 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 pop with that rhythm. But even still, uh, all the fights throughout are fantastic. I have to give Cynthia Rothrock a lot of credit because her wardrobe some of those pants she's wearing are look so tight. I'm like, how is she still able to kick? Like, there's that one sequence where she's wearing the San Francisco 49ers hat and a green winter jacket and what looks like really tight leather pants. And she's mm-hmm. still able to kick brilliantly. But you can tell those puppies are tight. And I'm like, oh, there's no way I could do that. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's like I said, I'm sorry, the wardrobe uh wardrobe coordinator is not listed on on this uh, website but i think a lot of that came from their personal uh, personal wardrobe and i wouldn't be surprised uh, yeah uh, you know who else also has really good suits in that movie is silk yes silk yes. suits are also really dope especially with like his big ass early 90s cell phone and his like bolo tie and there there was some there was some cool i always love things that are like what i call like a time capsule for uh, certain eras and this movie is definitely one of those, especially that era, because these movies were filmed during my childhood, right? So I'm a child of the, I don't know, I'm one of those weird periods where I'm like, am I, I'm a child of the 90s, born in the eight, like mid 80s, right? Mm-hmm. So I get, I, yeah, so I'm, so I like to say I'm a child of the early 90s. And so these kind of films that were filmed during that time always bring back memories for me of, oh, yeah, that's how my cool older cousin used to dress that I wanted to be just like. But yeah. anyway, we should be moving on. Honor and Glory, great choice. Uh, I purchased it on Prime. It comes and goes on Amazon Prime, so I actually purchased like a digital copy of it so I can watch it whenever I want, hence why it's on my list. But fantastic. Hong Kong American co-production, a lot of great fight sequences. If you like films from that era, go check it out. Uh, if And maybe if you're just intrigued, if you've never seen a movie of this particular style, definitely check it out. You will not be disappointed. And even if you think it's kind of hokey and funny, you'll still have fun watching it. It, it, it. It's it's a gem. It's a real gem. You can. I don't know how many times I've watched it, but I will tell you, I will continue to watch it time and time again. Oh, yeah. As a kid, I used to watch it. I had a, a VHS copy that I had ripped from the rental uh, copy I had. Sorry, FBI. Uh, but... I used to just watch it all the time, just anytime I needed a filler, and I still do. Okay, next movie. What's your next one? Okay, I'm going to go with uh, The Champion 
with uh, Yoon Bial and Dick Wei. I wonder why. Uh, you, uh, yeah. you, what's, what's the connection to that film? I, I Aside no from it being idea. a Hong Kong movie that has some martial arts and Yoon Bial and stuff, what, what else related to Gavin would make this so special? So, um, of course, it's soccer. Also, the different games that Yoon Bial plays, like he's picking up eggs with his, with his feet at one point. Uh, you know, so you just, it, it's a total showcase of like hacky sack, um, egg juggling, soccer skills. Um, and I really enjoy this film. If you are going to watch this film, you want to watch it in letterbox because the pan and scan makes you think that some of the soccer tricks that Yoon Bial and some of the professional soccer players and uh, Dick Way are performing are uh, cut. So mm. like, there's one of the best sequences in this film is uh, Yoon Bial putting away the balls because he was selected to join one of the local soccer teams, but then made into a ball boy after he uh, showboated a little bit. And Dick Way, the, the protagonist who was the best soccer player on on the team that he was picked, uh, picked on, uh, signed to, uh, definitely was uh, uh, wanted to remain the number one, so was putting hazing Yoon Bial with the, with the idea that he would never get a chance to play. So they're back to the best scene. Um, ball boy. He has to put away all the balls and there are these baskets. So he's, he's just kind of like getting them into the different baskets through, through different kicks. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great fun sequence. There's some great kung fu and kickboxing uh, taking place in the soccer games. And they're doing some, you know, you can rely on Yoon Bial to do some phenomenal acrobatics. Uh, there are also some scenes where once Yoon Bial joins the other team, uh, the somehow the mafia is going after them, trying to get them to, uh, I guess, oh, actually, sorry, going to backtrack. Uh, this is supposed to be a comfort film, but I'm really diving deep into this film. Uh, Yoon Bial gets subbed into a game and helps win the game that they were supposed to throw. Mm. So then he... Uh, I think the mafia comes after him. So you have some actual street fighting sequences. So there's, there's some real martial arts within the context of fights, but there's, it's a, it's mostly within the context of the soccer field, which is, which like, that's my life. If you could have soccer and Kung Fu together on the soccer field, that would be, that would be all I, I would ever dream and wish for. Mind yeah, you, yeah. mind you, uh, you will get a red card if you pull some of these stunts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least. At and, least. And you and Bial, so it's, it's a great comfort film for me because I can watch the sequences, even like the opening sequence. You know, it's, it's uh, set up like a standard, uh, like I would say a 70s, late 70s kung fu film where you see the martial arts on display at the very beginning. Instead, they're displaying soccer skills at the very beginning. So they're getting the, the, the audience ready for uh, what they're about to see. It's, it's basically like uh, Jeff Speakman and The Perfect Weapon. Uh, instead, it's Yoon Bial and his co-star, whose name is blanking, uh, blanking on right now. So my apologies are doing soccer tricks back and forth uh, at the beginning of uh, the beginning of the film. And it's a lot of fun. It's perfect. Perfect for me. Well, there you go. Awesome. Uh, it's funny uh, looking at my list. I am putting it together this time. I realize there's going to be kind of a similar theme for mine. I'm also giving myself kind of set rules like, uh, you know, it's funny. I look, I'm like, okay, each list is going to have a martial arts documentary. I think that's kind of cool. Each one's mm -hmm. going to have like an American Hong Kong crossover, which we've done now. I'm like, oh, okay. Then I'm going to have like a straight Hong Kong one, right? Uh, and then there seems to be exploitation ones on each one of my list. So, uh, uh, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to stick with my list I have today. 
But my next one I'm going to do, a classic Hong Kong one, straight Hong Kong one. Uh, I can watch this over and over again. It's one of the greatest 1980s Hong Kong action movies ever okay. made. Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon. Ah, it almost made my list. Yep. It almost hey, well, guess made what? my list. There'll be more lists to make. So yeah. yeah, Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon. I've talked about it a lot before. Uh, funny, I guess it is quasi uh, Bruce Bloitation in a sense because he does like impersonate Bruce Lee a few times. Mm-hmm. But very, you know, straightforward. Carl Maka, Sammo Hung, Buddy Cop uh, film actually... I mean, I'm not sure technically or supposedly, but most definitely uh, a remake and or inspired by Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines Mm -hmm. takes the same plot structure, runs with it. Uh, We have obviously more Hong Kong style comedy. You've got some stuff that is definitely transferable to everyone. You got stuff that's a little more localized. You got some fart jokes, Uh, you know, a lot of humor in there that wouldn't necessarily uh, be. Uh, what would you call it? PC today? Yeah. You know, it, it wouldn't have been PC maybe 20 years ago. Either. Yeah. It, kind of similar, you know, so we, we have some definite, uh, uh, there's actually a few different sequences dealing with, uh, the LGBTQ type community and, uh, transgendered individuals. So mm-hmm. more so stereotypes, as opposed to necessarily real, like, uh, hateful rhetoric or anything along those lines. I, I, th- I think it's fair to say stereotypes. I also think that if you look, if we look at uh, Samuel's uh, career, he has a few films that uh, play, uh, not play on, but do not shy away from taking on the LGBTQ topics. Well, it's so not maybe- just even his films, because obviously you're probably referencing Pantyhose Hero. Yeah. But you, you look at other movies from that era, like, yeah. uh, even if it was just the, the theme of homosexuality, uh, particularly being oh, automatically making you very effeminate, you know, I mean, that could be seen in, I don't know, off the top of my head, Donnie Yen's Drunken Tai Chi. You got the mm-hmm. whole, uh, like, uh, calligraphy arm wrestling type sequence, right? And then you've yeah. got that guy that's, like, cheering him on and who's obviously supposed to be uh, a homosexual character that's also extremely feminine. Uh, but go ahead. Well, that, what I was going to say, what, and maybe this is where you were going to go with your butt, but what I, what I do appreciate about the Samuel Hung films, even though character wise they they, they perform in a stereotypical manner. He allows them to be particularly in this film, although I don't know if he's the lone person who makes this decision, but his films allow these, uh, these characters to also be hired killers. Yeah, that's true. And, <laughs> and you know, this is not the first time his films have had uh, uh, transgendered hired killers. Yeah. Uh, and they are, their, their martial arts sequence is a lot of fun, but I don't want to, I don't want to detract from uh, where you were going with this film. Well, just pretty much phenomenal fight sequences. Uh, like any of his, like necessarily even top 10, not necessarily, but they're all incredible. The finale is incredible. One of the things I really like about this movie is there's some unique camera work in there. A lot of tracking or traveling shots, you know, like they've got the camera on uh, a, uh, like a rail, you know, and it, it's a lot of dynamic movement and stuff, not handheld. So I like it. It works mm-hmm. really cool. We have a lot of interesting uh, camera movement throughout the fights that just accentuate some of the action. Uh Mostly like group fights. Yes, there's some one-on-one sequences, obviously, like the Laukar wing and 
Samuel Hung fight at the end is incredible. Carl Maka holds his own with the action. Obviously, he's supposed to be a little more comical. Uh, you have some great other performers in there, like Mark Halton shows up in the finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fight sequences are just amazing. It is one of my all-time favorite Hong Kong action movies. Uh, it could be enjoyable for older fans of the genre, and if you've never seen it, find yourself a copy. It's on the Hi Ya app on Amazon Prime right now, which is a great resource. And but and even new fans could definitely step into this one and watch it and find it highly enjo- enjoyable because the fight sequences are just amazing. Mostly like group fights. We, as I said, yes, we have the one-on-one fight with Lagar Wing at the end, but uh, it's mostly kind of, and it's, it's kind of similar in a sense to Enter the Dragon, right? Where the, mm-hmm. that, the those had incredible group fight sequences. Uh, and then yes, you get the finale with Shia Kin at the end and there was the one-on-ones in the tournament, but for the most part, you know, amazing group fight sequences, uh, really cool Hong Kong setting, late 80s. Once again, gotta love the wardrobe. Uh, and a great villain in Lock Wing too. You really get to Very, see him shine. Yeah. That's we're talking maniacal. So like this is a great example that I was talking about earlier of Hong Kong uh, villains being like really maniacal. He's perfect, but he's also a lot more subtle. He'll kind of just be like, <laughs> and then I know just stab a dude to death, yeah. and then go back to being kind of this joyous like he's. He, it's good. A very underrated performance on his part. Yes, obviously, he is not as old as they're trying to make him be. They just, you know, do the gray spray in his hair. And it's like, oh, that guy's just kind of normal age. But anyway, great movie. That's mine. We'll leave it at that. Your next one. Okay, my next one. Um, I'm going to f- try to follow up what you just did. You just did a, a really fun buddy cop film. I'm going to do a fun buddy twin film uh, that I can just watch over and over again. Double twins. impact. Uh, twins. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, yeah. I totally cut you off. I say it again. Double impact. Yes, nice. That will make my list one of these days too. Wow, perfect choice. Because like like all these movies, I think it's pretty self-explanatory that we could literally watch them over and over again anytime we want. Like if I'm over at someone's house and they say, hey, you, you want to watch Double Impact? I'm never going to say, nah, I'm good. I'm going to say yes. yes yeah, I absolutely. There is so... I think with a lot of these uh, comfort film films that we're talking about, there is a little bit of a comic bookish feel to them, mm. or uh, a little over the topness to them. And what I like, you know, so with Honor and Glory, you you definitely have that. With uh, uh, Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon, you definitely have that. Uh, same with the Champion, but with Double Impact, you actually have a slick well-produced movie that is completely in places over the top you have some great villains you have you have uh, some really great villains that because you have two you have Jean-Claude Van Damme and Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, <laughs> as your two leads right so you have to have your you have to have more than one major bad guy and they have the the French guy with the boots they have Evan Lurie they have Bolo Young oh it's right Evan Lurie I always forget he's in Hey, you heal up nicely, don't you? Yeah, that's one of his mainstream roles. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and so Peter Peter Mulatto is the one with the heels, who I think you. is a friend um, of Van Damme's in real life. Maybe I'm not sure. Remember, he popped up in a few of them, including uh, the Order. Oh, you're right. Okay, no. Uh, so, but what I love about this film is it is absolutely 
totally enjoyable. I mean, I, I would I was gonna, I was going to say from minute one, but you know, obviously there's there's a reason the the twins get separated. You know, there's some violence and they, but like after the twins get separated, it, it's even even that it's it has a little bit of the the shadow feel from. Uh, from you know the Alec Baldwin shadow mm-hmm. and the the early Batman, uh, the Tim Burton Batman, it has a little bit of that kind of feel to it, um, and it it really captures Hong Kong well, probably better than the film I picked the last time, uh, Forced Vengeance, because this this allows Hong Kong to be a little more playful than Forced Vengeance. Forced Vengeance, Hong Kong was like a dangerous place. Same with like the Protector. It's like so, you you have these these trends of films that you pick. I, I seem to keep picking American films that are mm-hmm. that take place over over there and become like a co production the other way. Great uh, point right there, and I think a lot of the uniqueness of this film comes from director writer Sheldon Lettich, who was friends yes. with Van Damme in real life. They made a really good team. I feel like a lot of that has to do with they worked well as a team, but also Van Damme would listen to Sheldon Lettich, which was, you know, mm-hmm. a good thing. Cause sometimes that wasn't always the case. And I think maybe he will also wasn't afraid to, uh, put his foot down with Van Damme, you know, and be like, uh, we're going to do it this way, blah, blah. Or he'd be like, no, we need to do it this way. And you, you see that come together. This is my favorite movie of theirs more so than, uh, Lionheart. But, uh, and I had the chance to meet Sheldon Lynch at a screening for Double Impact. And that was so cool. Is that the Egyptian? Uh, really nice guy. But if you want some great insight on this movie in particular, he just did a whole series of interviews with the Viking Samurai on his oh, YouTube really? channel. Yeah. And he gives some great insight onto the production. Uh, and the fact that the finale was actually shot in uh, L.A., as was the whole like uh, tea house sequence and stuff like uh because they eventually had to bring the production back to L.A. And mm-hmm. uh, so most of it was shot in Hong Kong, but there was a bunch of it that they ended up doing in L.A. Well, that, I, that's that's I did. I didn't I didn't know that um, you wouldn't know it. And that's how good of a job no, they did, yeah. because you would never guess. I was like when they were talking about the sequences that were shot in L.A., I was like, really? Wow. It, it's it's so this is this is one of those films that is absolutely enjoyable from minute one. I think it's I think it might be outside of JCVD, the movie, and then also JCVD that streaming service uh, that streaming show that he did. Uh, oh no, that what was it? That was a little different. That was Jean Claude uh, Van Johnson. Jean Claude Van Johnson. Yeah. Uh, this might be his best acting performance. Although I, you could you could make an argument for other films as well. Uh, I mean, he plays a great villain along the way. He's done some like uh, Maximum Risk is a great film, but I really love the balance that he presented with these two characters while still being um, sort of like a Laurel and Hardy yeah. with himself. Maybe his maybe his best. I would agree, uh, but definitely his most dynamic. Yeah. And anytime yeah. you get to play two characters in one movie, it's obviously going to be your widest range also. Unless they're exactly the same, <laughs> which they're not. <laughs> uh, and it's funny, actually, in those interviews, Sheldon Lynch talks about the whole history of this film, how it started off as a version of the Corsican Brothers. Uh, and it was supposed to be made uh, on one of, like, uh, Canon Films or whatever. And then they had to buy the rights back, et cetera, et cetera. It, there's some great interviews uh, with the Viking Samurai. He splits them up into like multiple videos. So definitely check yeah. those out. But I do want to say as part of this movie, maybe some of the best slow motion captured sequences of any martial arts film, just beautifully shot the way they kind of uh, change the film speed slash shutter speed for some of the shots. And just that's how you do slow-mo. That's hey. how you make it. And you have to have a performer like Van Damme. 
to do it. Yeah, you, that's a great point because that, that final fight between he and Bolo just has some really phenomenal, oh, those kicks. perfectly timed slow-mo. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Or even just the, the slow-mo shot where he's first fighting Bolo and Bolo does the nut shot. Oh, so good. And, but the thing is, imagine, okay, so back to the, the final fight between them, just some of the most beautifully shot slow motion kicks ever. Could, could anybody else besides Van Damme have pulled that off? Could you see Don the Dragon Wilson doing those kicks and it looking the same? No, it would look like almost kind of hokey because sometimes you put a, a martial artist in slow-mo and their kicks actually, you see that aesthetically they're not as perfect. They're still very effective in real life, but maybe they don't have those same crisp, clean lines. So hence why Van Damme is one of the greatest kickers of all time. Absolutely. But okay, uh, moving Let's, on to my next one. You're not going to believe this, but my next one was Bloodsport. <laughs> so uh, per, I'll, I'll keep per, it quick. Perfect, perfectly rewatchable. Yeah, perfect. And that's the, the thing is, and the funny part is, the reason it made my list this time is Jessica and I just put it on last weekend. I forget it was like Sunday or something, and we were just being lazy about getting stuff started that we need to get done. And I just it was on Hulu right now, and I put it on. And yes, I have it on DVD. But anytime any of the streaming services, like it bounces around, right? I'll just put it on. And Jessica's the one that got hooked on it. And then she's like, oh, I got to go do this. Can you pause it for me? And I was like, sure. I was like, I have no problem. I've seen it a million times. But yeah, Bloodsport, mm-hmm. the, the the fight sequences in that film, uh, some of them are a little dated, but others really still stand the test of time. Like if anything, it's funny. Maybe the finale with Bolo is a little dated. Some of the sequences, the whole slow motion sequence at the end is incredible still because once again, Van Damme makes it incredible. But some of the the hidden little moments throughout in the fight scene, some of the the choices that are just really well done, some of the cuts and the angles and uh, just the the unique uh, display of all these different martial arts styles. Once again, we have, it's like the last movie to ever be filmed at the Kowloon Walled City in Hong Kong, which makes it unique. Uh, great musical score. And once again, uh, coincidentally enough, Viking Samurai, when talking to Sheldon Lynch, they talk a lot about Bloodsport and they've been talking a lot about Frank Dukes, the real Frank Dukes. Uh, we won't even go into mm-hmm. that. Uh, but it's just one of those movies I can literally put on over and over again. On top of that, it's also nice because some of the comfort films I get straight up drawn into. I have to watch them. I don't want to miss a thing. Bloodsport, like when we watched it last Sunday, I think I only watched about 20% maybe. I was walking around doing other things. I would be in the other room and say the lines as they were about to say them. Like, you break uh-huh. my record. Now I break you like I break your friend. And Jessica would be like, ah. <laughs> Or she would ask me. I'd be in the other room. She's like, wait, what did that guy say? I said, not death touch, uh, which is funny because, uh, uh, or he said, not Dimak. Like, because that sequence, when I first saw the movie as a kid, you know, I saw it on TBS and I had it taped off a TV version where, uh, you know, uh, Tiny, what's Donald Gibbs' character's name? Is it, It's not Tiny, it's uh, Ray, Ray Jackson, uh, mm-hmm. where Ray breaks the brick and the guy says, not Dimak. Uh, and I never knew what the guy was saying in that sequence until I got it on DVD and put on the subtitles. I was like, oh. Yeah. But that just came in. She's like, what did he say? I was like, not Dimmock. And then, of course, Ray Jackson's like, neither is this. Pearl. Just so many great lines. So 80s. So awesome. Uh, it, it's a classic. You, you can't help but love uh, Bloodsport. Any martial arts movie fan that doesn't like Bloodsport, I don't know. I question their, their love of the genre. Because uh, I saw Bloodsport after I'd already seen a bunch of Hong Kong ones, right? Like 
Because once again, strict policy in my house growing up, no R-rated movies unless it was showing on TV. So by the time I saw Bloodsport, we're maybe like 97, 98. And so I'd already seen all the Jackie ones released that were PG-13. Uh, so I'd already mm-hmm. seen a bunch of Hong Kong action movies. And that was one of those ones, even at that point, I saw Bloodsport and was just super impressed. Probably just because of the display of the different martial arts styles, uh, Van Damme's uh, physicality being so incredible. And yeah, so that's Bloodsport. I'm sticking to it. Your next one. Okay, my next one. So what I'm trying to do with these lists is not talk about films we've talked about before. Uh, but last time I skipped over doing any Jeff Wincott films. So there are two that always come to mind with him. And both are pure comfort because they're both pure fun. But I'm not going to go there because we've, we do bring those films up a lot. So uh, I was digging deep into my personal, like, where's my favorite? And... Uh, beyond Martial Law 2 and Mission of Justice and also Martial Outlaw beyond those. Um, Long answer short. uh, Man, I'm going to blurt it out. I'm going to blurt it out. I'm going to go with Open Fire. Okay. I'm going to go with Open Fire. That was a tough call because there are two other films that I could have slotted in there. Uh, There's one other film that I watch a little more than that, but that's because I own it on DVD. But Open Fire is, uh, is a lot of fun. It's almost like, uh, it's almost, it's almost Jeff Wincott's solo action film. Mm. Uh, it's the one where the, the reactor where his dad works, um, is, uh, is being held hostage by some terrorists so that they can get their, 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 uh, their lead terrorist out of uh, prison played by Patrick Kilpatrick. Um, great name. It, yeah. Uh, Jeff Wincott is just a lowly, lowly uh, uh, electric. No, like he works for the electric department, so he's like fixing wires at the beginning. I don't know if he works for the phone department or the electric department, but he's fixing wires and he's like fixing jackhammers. Um, um, so it's it's basically under siege, but at a power plant, or it's uh, Die Hard at a power plant, or you know, it's City funny. Hunter at a power plant. Let's look at there's open fire. There is. Uh, Deadly Outbreak with Jeff Speakman. Uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Trimble did one. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head right now. And even Corey Haynes did one. And <laughs> yes, I think did. The, the reason why, very cheap to shoot at these locations, which a lot of them are just now run down, unfunctioning facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, so what I like about this film, there, there's some early fight sequences and uh, Kurt Anderson is the director who I think or who I know also worked on Martial Law 2 and Martial Outlaw and was like the second unit director for Mission of Justice. Jeff Pruitt's on the film. Um, who, and he, Jeff Pruitt's getting like pushed around early on by some coworkers because you have to establish that Jeff Wincott can, character can fight. So he has like this great fight sequence at, at a bar where he's like punching through pitchers and then knocking people out. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely got that over-the-top flair that you would expect from a, a Jeff Pruitt, Jeff Wincott film that they established in, in the films that led up to this. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's isolated in two locations and, or maybe three locations. And it's just it's pure fun. And if you, if you, uh, if you want to see Wincott as the lone lead, and I think there are a few other films like that, but even in those other films, there's somebody to play off of. He, he is, he's definitely on a solo mission with this one. And therefore, it, guilty pleasure, uh, 
comfort film. I love it. I love it. Uh, all right, man. Good choice. I literally just made a change to mine simply because I kind of have this rule I'm setting. I only want one Bruce Lee-esque uh, themed film in per Because list. you did a Skinny Tiger. No, no, no. I don't even count that one. Uh, okay. But like, so for example, if there's a Bruce Bruce film, so pretty much I, I just made one cha- uh, minor error or my, minor error, minor change. But my next one could easily be tied with the one that is going to be my quote unquote number one. But uh, mm-hmm. this is going to be my Bruce Bluetation choice for the list. Uh, probably my favorite Bruce Bluetation film, one of my all time favorite kung fu movies. Bruce Lee, the man, the myth, the Bruce Lee starring Insing, you directed. Uh, "Quote unquote," Bruce Lee biographical film, one of the like dozens made in the 1970s. Uh, this one went above and beyond, though, actually filming all throughout the world, including in America, in Seattle, in San Francisco, Los Angeles. They make some attempts at actually giving a proper uh, structure to his life story, and in some aspects, maybe it is the most accurate one. I mean, just as accurate as Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Uh, but the reason I like this is a. I've mentioned before, I'm a huge Bruce Lai fan, Ho Chung Tao. He's one of my all-time favorite Kung Fu stars. Probably when it comes to old school Kung Fu stars, not probably, he easily makes my top 10. It's just where he is on there. Uh, I love his screen presence. And this was this was the era where he transitioned from being the guy that was just kind of picked from obscurity to be this Bruce Lee clone to being the phenomenal martial artist and performer he was. This was, as I said, there was this period where he went from being very stiff and wooden having good physicality, but not great to suddenly being so dynamic, so explosive, his martial arts being very legitimate. His kicks are suddenly like that of a Taekwondo expert. His physique was very athletic, not as I call fussels and more specifically scussels like skinny muscles, like say a Bruce Lee. There's actual Mm -hmm. like, uh, thickness to his muscles and his definition and you're like wow this guy's athletic and even in the training sequences in this movie you see him doing a lot of like plyometric work and the you know push-ups jump rope jogging and you're like wow it's like he he really did his best to give the most authentic performances as he was being forced into a lot of these bruce bloatation roles i'm not speaking on this movie necessarily but he's talked about in interviews uh, being held at knife point, forced to keep doing these Bruce Bloitation films, probably the ones more so that are like where he's straight up playing like a Bruce Lee character. Uh, <laughs> but back to this film, not only is it very unique and in fact shot all over the world, it's uh, overall very well made, but the fight sequences are incredible. Some of the best, as I said, that was another evolution, whereas his earlier fight scenes were kind of like uh, hokey, very chop sake. Uh, these have a much cleaner, crisper feel. Like, pa, pa, pa. The martial arts he displays, uh, he does some, in my opinion, I'm no Wing Chun expert, but the whole opening sequence where he's actually doing Wing Chun with the son of Yip Man, uh, Yip Chun, I believe, uh, it looks very legitimate to me. His wooden dummy form, his Chi Sao. Uh, and then throughout, you know, he's doing kind of more like, yeah, he still does a Bruce Lee impersonation, but that kickboxing kind of style, I'm not going to say directly Jeet Kune Do, but just very dynamic, very fluid. Uh, I could put this movie on anytime and enjoy it. I literally started watching it when I woke up this morning just because I knew it was going to be on my list. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna watch this. And yeah, it's another one of those ones I might walk away and do something else. But And also so many fight sequences. If you just want a movie you can put on and have like literally, I think I counted it once as a kid, like 16 martial arts sequences, uh, <laughs> you will not be disappointed. And he Bruce Lai just gives a great performance. Uh, there's some other 
you know, classic actors from that era in there. Uh, Chu Chi Ling, the Hungar Master, pops up in there. Uh, you've got real life Bruce uh, Lee co-stars like Unicorn Chan popping up in there. Uh, I love the sequence in Thailand where he's fighting the Thai boxers. And we also get a whole little sequence of them watching Muay Thai fights from that era, which is really cool. I mm-hmm. always love when there's footage of like pre 90s Muay Thai and stuff. And uh, it's just really cool. Uh, and once again, they're shooting around like, you know, these pagodas and stuff in Thailand. And so obviously this film had a bigger budget, but really just a great Kung Fu movie, great martial arts sequences, uh, great Bruce Bloitation film if you're into that. And yeah, it's just one of those movies I go back to again and again. So there we go. You, you know, it's it's about time that I go back to it because I haven't uh, I haven't seen that in years. I remember the Thai sequences, but I don't remember the U.S. sequences. So I really do need to go back and they, watch that. They actually go to the University of Washington, too. As I said, San Francisco, they go to the Hollywood lots and stuff like where he was shoot, like supposedly shooting Green Hornet. Uh the other part is like I've noticed over the years, like I had a VHS copy that I got as a kid from Costco, I think of all places. It was like a Bruce Bloitation uh, pack, uh, of course, marketed as a Bruce Lee pack. But uh, it's like each over the years, it's one of those only ones that's actually like the versions that become available are like better and better quality. Like it first popped up on my on the Cinemax app, which I have on Hulu, like man, like a year and a half ago. And it was the best quality version I'd seen. Uh, and it's like, but it's, it hasn't technically been remastered yet, I don't think. Uh, and then now the version that's on, uh, I think it's on Prime. It, it's not high. I think it's just regular Prime. Same thing, a good copy. But I'm waiting for that, like, you know, 2K or 4K re- restoration Blu-ray from, uh, I'm sure, Michael Worth and those guys at uh, Pearl River are going to be releasing that one. So I will be very excited for that. And I'll be the first in line to buy it. Sounds great. All right, man, your final one. Uh, my final one is what I consider a kitchen sink movie. It literally throws everything in. Um, it is a Jackie film. I wonder if you can guess what it is already. Uh, um, Killer Meteorites. You got it. No. I uh, knew it. How, uh, uh, wait, no. Okay. Give me a legitimate guess. Hold on. Uh, Fantasy Mission Force. No. No. <laughs> that was not a legitimate guess. That was me being okay. a uh, jerk. You're, you're, you're close to your wise, though. Uh, so... The Young Master. He, nice. Hey, that's it. Which version though? Um, the one with the better music. There we go. And that's the that's the one I actually bought on eBay for like two bucks. The same DVD I used to have. It's a crappy quality one, but I love mm. the English, the original English dub one with the awesome music. Yes. Oh, it's so fantastic. Yeah. So the film, the film itself, it's just, it's. I, I like before I really knew anything about like Jackie's career, I saw that film as I've given I've tried to give everything I have to film and I still haven't like broken through. In hindsight, I see that he did break through before that. But when I was younger, I'm like, this is the movie where he's like, OK, I'm throwing everything in everything. And if you guys like it, let's keep working together. If you guys don't like it, I'll walk away. That was the narrative I gave myself as a young boy when I first watched this film because I had not seen anything like it before. And yes, I did watch this as a young man. And you know what? If uh, if it's on TV when I go home, I will be watching this as a full grown man. So I watched it. This, this, is a, this is a film that you can watch over and over again. You can enter at any sequence. It has comedy. It has... Uh, slapstick it has uh, 
it just has it has everything in the fight sequences it he goes through so many different styles the yun the yun biao uh chair fight sequence is phenomenal in my opinion mm-hmm. i love that sequence um the the kind of the koi kind of getting away from the the crooked eye uh police officers that's a lot of fun um these sort of like the Keystone Cops, hey, the fight, se- the I fight think sequence. I think that's the white fan. We better <laughs> yeah. go get help. <laughs> the the fight sequence with um, um, where he where he's fighting the the two two of the henchmen and he has to he puts sort of like a material around his leg so it's like he's now using the where he's fighting like uh, Li Hui San and uh, Feng Hak An right I would say his name yes. wrong but yeah. Yes, and so he's fighting, and his, his legs are hidden, uh, and then of course uh, the final fight sequence is is every there isn't one scene where they haven't thrown every element, every aspect at you possible. Everything's in the film, every single scene. The final fight sequence is epic. Uh, the breaking out of prison sequence for um, oh yeah for Tiger. Yeah, for Tiger is phenomenal. Well, sorry, is I mean, where Tiger helps Tons. them break out Wong and Sick. Yes, yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's just uh, everything is as over the top as not not as over the top as you can get it, but everything is in thrown into every single sequence, and it's just it's a movie you can watch any sequence out. You can watch it out of order. Uh, you watch it in order for maximum enjoyment. It's. <laughs> It's it's great. Yeah, that that particularly that breakout sequence where we after Wong and Sit gets to drink the water, and then the editing they did in that was so crisp because it's totally what you might call a disruptive editing style. It doesn't flow from like like your normal fight sequence from what's supposed to be one move to the next. It's disruptive, and it's like it shows them kicking one guy immediately cuts. It breaks like the rules of you know camera angle cutting and stuff specifically because it's like oh he's kicking one guy now he's kicking the guy that was on the other side of the field and now he's like it's just it just goes freestyle and it's such a nice uh change and i've always thought wow that was just such a cool sequence but once again like van damme in the slow-mo you had to have been able to pull it off with incredible kicking abilities like wong and sick yeah it's it, so it, it it is for me it's one of the great uh comfort kung fu films i can go back to it anytime excellent anytime. excellent choice my friend so uh any final notes on that if someone hasn't seen it Get get on it. This this is one film that you need to get on, and it's yeah another one of those ones that used to be on Prime, and then after the great purge of the last like year and a half, it is no longer on there, but it's still easily accessible. You can find versions of it, uh, multiple different versions of it. But anyways, my final one, and as I said, pretty much every list is going to have a documentary. This one is one of my ultimate all time comfort movies, the documentary Top Fighter, which. Uh, I remember, I forget, when I first got into martial arts movies, so we're talking like, uh, so, you know, obviously the Jackie era, 95 with Rumble, the Bronx coming out, like around that, like 96, 97, I start renting, you know, whatever I can find. And there was uh, not like Tai Seng, uh, which released a lot of the, the legitimate versions of Hong Kong movies. There was other companies that would buy the rights to these more obscure ones that were cheaper. So you'd buy them. A lot were duds. Some were hits. Then you'd get like previews. And I remember seeing the preview for Top Fighter and like, oh, it's this documentary that was pretty much about all of the top martial arts guys up to that point mm-hmm. from the 70s, 80s and early 90s. And uh, Toby Russell directed and made it. He made a lot of documentaries. He also did Cinema of Vengeance, uh, 
Top Fighter 2, Lady Fighter, which is another great one that'll make my list one day, and uh, some more and more. But I remember seeing the trailer for it, and I had to go and order it. It's another one that I ordered from Sunco's video in the mall. And I watched this tape so much that I literally destroyed it. Not from the VCR, like some people. Mine was because I used to bring it with me everywhere I went in my car in case I needed something to watch. Pretty much going from mom's house to dad's house or if I was at going to someone's house and they're like, well, I've never seen any kung fu movies. You know, you know I might be interested. This would be my pull, like movie I'd pull out because all it is, yes, it starts off. It does, of course, have a, a short Bruce Lee bio sequence like uh, because it's just a highlight of all these different martial arts stars. Uh all males in this one. They did one of all female ones, as I said, the sequel. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's inevitable that pretty much any martial arts documentary has a mini documentary about Bruce Lee within there. But this, and it just shows a bunch of awesome fight scenes, a bunch of great interviews. Some of them done specifically for either this movie, uh, previous ones that Toby Russell had put together, like Cinema of Vengeance, or, you know, they managed to grab like a Jackie interview from that Mr. Show, I think it was called, the British one from the late 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, uh, some like a Van Damme TV interview. So you get a lot of great interviews with these people where you get a lot of great insight. Uh, there, there's like my first real introduction to Bruce Lai, Ho Chong Tao, and you get to see him talk about a little bit about his biography and so forth. Uh, and it was my first introduction to him before I'd actually seen any of his movies. Uh, a lot of other martial, great martial arts stars like Ron Van Cleef, uh, The Black Dragon, uh, Ten Tao Liang, all those guys. It was like my first real introduction into seeing all of them. And then later, because of this documentary, I would seek them out. But as I said, you're getting a bunch of great interviews and just a bunch of fight scenes. And at the very end of the movie, they're like, you know what? Now we're just going to show you a fight scene from a Bruce Liang movie uh, just to mm -hmm. end it. And so it's just a nonstop, like, and it's very scatterbrained in the sense of like, all right, here's the Jet Li sequence, blah, blah, blah. Now Jet Li fight sequence. Okay, now here's the Jackie sequence. Now a Jackie fight. Like just not so many great fights. Even if you don't get to see the whole thing, you get to see enough. It just gives you that fix. You're like, man, I'm jonesing and I need something. But I, I've, I've also got that, you know, uh, ADD where I can't focus on just one movie. So it's perfect. It's like gives you a little bit of Jet, a little bit of Jackie, a little bit of Bruce, a little bit of, I don't know who you might see in there, like Ron Van Cleve, Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, mm -hmm. maybe uh, Tan Tao Leung, Flash Lakes Tan. So, uh, but the reason uh, I was saying, the reason I destroyed the tape, bringing it back and forth everywhere with me is, so I grew up in the Central Valley, California during the summers, you know, triple digits. And I left it on the backseat of my car one time oh. for like 24 hours and it literally melted and I was so devastated. You must have I was been like, devastated. No, because this would have been like at the point where it was already everything was already transitioning over to DVDs, and so I couldn't have even ordered it if I wanted to. Uh, it is now available online. Once again, it used to be available on Prime. Now there's some copies on YouTube. Uh, I would gladly buy it on DVD. I'd love to have a copy. But it's one of those movies. I sometimes when I'm doing boring ass cardio on whether it's the elliptical, just long form, straight boring cardio or anything else and i need something to watch i will put that on it's like my go-to uh you know it's just and it was you know my other introduction for example is my introduction to leo fong uh sifu leo mm -hmm. fong who i've now had the pleasure of training with bruce lee's uh training partner and so forth uh that was my first time seeing him and i was like oh man this guy's cool little did i know at that time he was actually i think still living in stockton which was only you know 25 minutes from me where i grew up uh if i would have known but uh yeah, obviously, as I said, John Liu, Huang Jingli, all of these other guys. And if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and watch it. Top Fighter documentary. You'll know what I'm talking about. The opening sequence is like a martial arts sequence with Larry Lee. 
uh, great narration, great music that they rip from Kung Fu movies that in turn ripped from other real movies. So, uh, yeah, it was the first time I saw clips from Hitman in the Hand of Budo, one of my all time favorites. So, yeah, can't say enough. Perfect comfort film. Totally can check out, watch it, enjoy it. And that's my you, list. You, 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 it's a great, great pick. I, I love I love that you close with that. Uh, I, I had a similar experience with Top Fighter. I rented it from Blockbuster a few times. And so I think there was uh, there was some the general feeling in the house was you can't just keep running this movie. <laughs> so I I ripped my favorite sequences off it and I would put on another VHS and watch that. Uh, sorry, FBI. But uh, really great pick. It's and it is it 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 it, it, uh, it is the perfect comfort film. It is exactly what we're going for. It's a film that we can, we the audience or you or I can go in and out of. But also when we're in with it, we are fully engaged and we're never getting bored uh, because we it's something we've seen before. Right. So excellent pick. Thank you. Thank you. All right, my man. Well, that's our list. Uh, we, we kept it in an okay amount of time, not too long, but guess what? It's been a while since people have had an episode. Uh, and we'll be yeah. recording tomorrow morning, so we'll have to pick another topic to talk about. But otherwise, uh, awesome. Great getting back to it. And I will see you tomorrow, my man. Sounds good. I'll Peace. see you.